0: First, Chest Hair Friday podcast. I'm sitting here at the Thompson Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee with the editor of the Chest Hair Friday zine, Will Farley. Good morning, Will.
1: Good morning, Brent. And And I'm Brent
0: Rosen. I'm the, we'll call myself the founder of Chest Hair Friday. I think that's a, a title. I have some of the most famous chest hair on the internet and we are now using that power for good instead of evil. We wanted to start our first podcast by telling you a little bit about the origins of Chest Hair Friday, a little bit about our zine, and then tell some travel stories. Because one of the things that we're very focused on on Chest Friday is getting out and exposing yourself to the possibility of adventure. And there's no better way to find adventure than getting out of your comfort zone and doing some travel. But first, I am a, an attorney. I work in magazines. I've worked in publishing. I used to run the alternative newspaper in Montgomery, Alabama, which sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, but there really were some (laughs) alternative things to cover there. And Chester Friday has kind of been my baby for almost a decade now. It originated in Washington, D.C. I lived there fresh out of college, and my job, I worked as a contract lobbyist for General Motors, and I would take their hydrogen fuel cell car to Capitol Hill, and it was a million dollar car. I think I am certainly the first person to ever drive that car buzzed. They had me go out to a reception, and I was supposed to just tell people about the car, so I had a few drinks. Naturally. And then at the end of the night, they were like, so you're taking the car home, right? And not only did I have to drive the car a little buzzed, I had to drive it out of a hotel ballroom, through a hallway, and into a parking garage. Where it was James Bond-style, one inch on either side of the side view mirrors as I was going down a hallway. But uh, my job required me to be in a tie at all times except for those 10 or 12 Fridays a year when Congress was not in session, whether it was a recess, a holiday, whatever. So I started referring to those days as chest hair Fridays because when your job is to go to Capitol Hill and bullshit all day, you don't have a whole lot to do when there's no one to bullshit with. So I would show up to the office about nine, run around irritating everybody, find out what everybody's weekend plans were, and then the real beauty of chest hair Friday is to not plan too much. There was a bar across the street from our office called Recessions. And Recessions was in the basement of an office building. Perfect timing, too. And they served 24-ounce beers for like $3. So the nights would start there. We'd, We'd have a few beers, a few laughs. Then someone would say, oh, why don't we go grab some to eat here? And some people would come, some people would stay, some people would go home. And as you work your way through the night, I mean, one night we ended up in some Georgetown senior's apartment. At 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> ripping shots, and you know, never even knew who these people were. But that's kind of the beauty of Chester Friday. You let adventure come to you. It's impossible to have an adventure when you're sitting in your backyard having a barbecue on a Friday afternoon. You get yourself out there. You never know who you're going to bump into, what kind of adventures will wait you, and what sort of trouble you can get into. And that sort of spirit has always been something I've tried to live by, and I think it's a spirit that is getting lost in this sort of world of of conformity and and everyone doing the same kind of thing, everybody looking the same, acting the same. Chester Friday is an antidote for buttoned-up conformity. Will, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself,
1: where you come from, your background, and how we all got involved together. Well, uh, my name is Will Farley. I am actually at home in nashville tennessee which is where i was born and raised um i ended up moving around a little bit doing some some good studying and some traveling lived in turkey for a while what were you doing in turkey uh in turkey i helped co-chair a literature department at an embassy school so what does that mean it means i was a teacher (laughs) had to do curriculum and um coach a bunch of embassy kids they were from all over the world wonderful kids but also total shitheads I can imagine I mean any kid I guess like 13 year olds are all shitheads they don't have Chester yet either so they're they've nothing (laughs) they've got nothing going nothing going for them so I ended up moving back to Nashville and being around for a couple years and started working in writing and fashion and ended up getting partnered up with a company called Billy Reed which has been like a really wonderful thing because if I hadn't been with Billy Reed there's no way I would have known you
0: and where does Billy Reed have stores and, and what is Billy best known for in his style?
1: The way best way that I can describe Billy Reed would be that there is a high emphasis on custom textiles with mid-Atlantic tailoring. It's gonna be something that doesn't fit in this classic Southern Southern style. It's not gonna be like a no, lot of his no, no A lot of his baggy. shapes aren't baggy and like Unless they're intentionally baggy, and then like a lot of the stuff isn't gonna be like high cut suits, like an Italian, like sitting above the ass kind of suit. Um, but Billy's Billy's been a wonderful company, um, and through that I started working a couple of food and drink festivals where we ran into each other in Alabama.
0: Yeah, I think the actual first time we really hung out, we were doing a dinner in Auburn, Alabama, mm-hmm. with Wesley True, recent mm-hmm. contestant on Top Chef.
1: R.C. was there. And
0: R.C. Hagen's, an artist friend of ours, and their idea was to combine art and food. And Wesley created a menu, and then R.C., who was a stencil artist, which is you know cutting out things in paper and spray painting over it, he used stencils for sauces. And I remember thinking this was the craziest thing I'd ever heard and it didn't really work all that well at the dinner. And what's funny is Wesley tried to do it again on Top Chef, and it went so badly on TV <laughs> that it was almost like, how did you not learn the lesson from the disaster that was... When you try to spray sauces through a paint gun, they are
1: they have much less viscosity than paint. Um, let's go ahead and just kind of run everyone through a little bit of a teaser on what we have coming in the magazine. So Yes, because
0: as, as of... The time this podcast runs, zines will have shipped to our first customers. We do want to say thank you to those who have already pre-ordered, and your zines are in the mail. And for those of you who are buying today, expect to have them by Monday or Tuesday of next week. And what we've put together is it has the structure of a traditional magazine, but everything is kind of tilted at a 90-degree angle.
1: Right. We start. We start with a couple different sections, so it's... Your, your normal topics. Food, yeah, travel, food travel, fun, adventure. drink.
0: Various adventures. And our travel coverage, I think, is really one of our strongest suits. And I'd love to talk more about Montreal with you in just a second. Yeah, absolutely. But Mexico City, everybody I talk to is either planning a trip to Mexico City or just got back from Mexico City. And traditionally, people will tell you, you go for the street food, which is not wrong. The street food there is fantastic. We were staying in this place called Condesa, which is one of the neighborhoods in the central city, and we walked outside one morning and it was some kind of festival day. I have no idea what it was, but they had a taco stand set up right in front of our hotel. Ugh. And the way that it was set up, it was two ladies and they had a griddle and a deep fryer. They would griddle to order whatever meat you wanted to go in your taco. And then they were deep frying poblano peppers and potatoes with it. And that was an add-on. I got three tacos and a liter of Mexican Coke for the equivalent of $3.50 US, and they were without question the best tacos I've ever had. So I, I can't say for a second that the tacos aren't a reason to go to Mexico City. Museums, another very popular part of Mexico City, the Museum of Anthropology there, we forget that Mexico is much older in a sense than America, where even beyond the sort of indigenous native folks, Mexico saw Cortes in like 1510, whereas there were really no European settlers in America until the 1600s that stuck around. So there is just an unbelievable amount of history in Mexico that when, you, if all you know of Mexico is Cancun and Cozumel, you've sort of shortchanged yourself. It's, it's almost like if you didn't know anything about the Appalachian region in America. You just sort of thought it was... You Gatlinburg. Know, yeah, you thought it was Gatlinburg and Dalyland... Dolly Dollywood. Dollywood. So Mexico City has all of this culture and history. It's also gigantic. I mean, imagine if you combined Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, and New York into one city. Mexico doesn't have a financial capital, a cultural capital, and a political mm, capital. A capital. They just have a capital. And so each neighborhood that you go to reflects what's there. So there's a part that looks just like the Lower East Side, where everybody is very hip, very, you know tightly cut clothes, asymmetrical haircuts, and they're all working in the Mexican film business. Then you go one neighborhood over, and everybody has the slicked-back hair, the Italian-style suits you were talking about earlier, and it looks so European, you think that you're in Spain, and that's the political capital. Then you go down the street, and everybody looks like a Wall Street banker in the pinstripe suits. It's just amazing to see all of that in one concentrated place. All of that being said... The best thing to do in Mexico City is go to Lucha Libre for a Friday night fight. If you are only familiar with wrestling through the lens of the WWF, you are not doing it correctly. The WWF is built on pretty much being a soap opera that has violence. In Mexico City, they don't really do the long-running feuds. They don't have the so-and-so mess with so-and-so's ring girl, and now they're going to fight it out to decide who gets to keep her. It's not as uh, serialized in its storytelling. What it's really about is just the excitement of the night. So when you remove all of the bullshit, all you're left with is extraordinarily acrobatic, extremely athletic performances. And the wrestlers aren't giant, steroidal monsters. They're all like regular-sized people. A lot of them are fat guys, which is hysterical, because I'm not a small person, and I would never (laughs) think that I could be a professional wrestler. Uh, Super Porky, who is my new hero, Is a 60 year old fat man. And he is as good (laughs) a luchador as the little tiny Rey Mysterio style guys in the masks. It's all about agility. It's all about, exactly, it's agility. And it's really about being able to perform for the crowd. Because these guys are truly, it's more like going to see a play that features high flying acrobatics than it is going to a fight.
1: And not to give it all away because everyone should read. Yeah, you should read the story. The story, you can go to our website www.chesthairfriday.com. And we are already
0: on SEO, the number two link after the Urban Dictionary definition of Chest Hair Friday, which (laughs) is total bullshit because I invented it. I have no idea who submitted an Urban Dictionary. Wait, what is it? I I don't, you know, since we're recording this in a hotel and I don't have the internet going, we're just gonna, I will go ahead and reread this from the internet (laughs) later. As promised, I am now overdubbing this podcast with a little bit of light reading from the internet from Urban Dictionary. But first, thanks to all of you who have been visiting the website, we have officially jumped the Urban Dictionary definition of Chest Hair Friday in the Google search results, and we are now the number one search result for Chest Hair Friday. That being said, the Urban Dictionary definition of Chest Hair Friday is, when a hairy man decides to let loose on a Friday happy hour, letting his chest tear out in public so the bitches come flocking. The primary goal of this move is to get laid. He's kept it hidden all week, but when work ends on Friday, it's chest hair Friday. Close, Urban Dictionary, and I see what you've done there, but that's not exactly it. Without further interruption, we'll get back to you uh, talking about Lucha Libre in Mexico. Thanks, all. But I will give you the... Okay, I look forward to hearing that. And by the way, with that, you know, now that you know that the Urban Dictionary is number one, let's get as many people as possible to visit this website so Chester
1: Friday can resume its rightful place as its
0: own number one Google
1: search. But I was going to say, so, not to give it all away, but there was one particular wrestler who had a fantastic finishing
0: move. Oh, Maximo. So, we were walking around beforehand and buying headbands of all the different wrestlers. I want a
1: headband. We went
0: crazy on merch. I mean, again, the dollar is so strong right now that when Donald Trump got elected, the peso dropped by 15 or 20% in a day. Can you imagine having all of the wealth of a country drop 20% in a day? I mean, we would have rioted in the streets in America. The Mexicans were like, now you know what it's like to be us with terrible government and corruption everywhere. They were like empathizing rather than being (laughs) mad while we were there. But uh, So everything is extremely inexpensive in Mexico City, including merch at Lucha Libre. So we all bought headbands, and I saw this one. It was Maximo Sexy. And I kind of like to think of myself as a Maximo Sexy kind of guy. And I was told that uh, Maximo Sexy is a, he is the gay wrestler. And that's actually what he goes by. And his finishing move is to French kiss his weakened opponents, pin them up against the ropes, and make out with them. And then they act horrified, and you know, flailing their arms around, and they fall to the ground and roll out of the ring in disgrace. And I was a little concerned that if I wore the Maximo headband, the sort of uh, machismo culture of Mexico, that I might get like called out. I'm not sure why I felt like that, because after seeing it, he's everybody's favorite. It was sort of like a cultural misunderstanding, and I was like, well, I'm going to give this one to one of the girls, and I'll get right. super porky, because super porky does make a little more sense for a man of my build and style, <laughs> but uh, Maximo was an absolute crowd favorite. He was our favorite. I can't there was, wait to There see was it. nothing funnier than this guy, like, jumping up on somebody, uh, wrapping his legs around their hips.
1: And just kissing them full on the lips, and flailing and mock horror, flailing and
0: mock horror exactly. (laughs) Which
1: is also really funny because it kind of subsumes the machismo, and uses it as shock value. But what was the crowd like? Crowd is insane, and it's it's a great mix.
0: The front row seats that we had, their list price was I think three hundred pesos, and we paid six hundred. The way you do peso math: divide by two, then divide by ten. So even for six hundred pesos, we were talking about thirty dollars. So it's not a an, an super expensive ticket, and so the lower ring, we ended up seated next to a guy who has to have been some sort of, like, godfather of wrestling. Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring. Everybody was coming over to kiss the ring, and I wish my Spanish was better, because I'd love to know what was being said. But as you get further up in the stands, it gets crazier and crazier, and a lot of the wrestlers represent neighborhoods. So you sort of, in, in a way that, like, you know, you're a Giants fan if you're from New York, It's like you're a such-and-such wrestler fan if you're from this neighborhood in Mexico City. So different areas sort of light up when the different wrestlers come on as they cheer on their sort of neighborhood star. That's fantastic. Which is really pretty neat because Mexico City is 25 million people. So when you think about it, I mean, that's bigger than most states. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, significantly bigger than most states. Than most, yeah. So you really do have a lot of variety when it comes to the people and, and the culture, even within Mexico City. So if you are thinking about going to Mexico City and you're not thinking that your Friday night should involve... Lucha Libre, you're doing it wrong. You took a trip to Montreal not too long ago, which resulted in an article that will become the first in a series. Montreal, colon, H.S. Tear Friday.
1: So for Montreal, I was in New York and hanging out with my girlfriend, and we both realized that we had a three- or four-day weekend off at the same time, which that's unheard of for us in the way that both of our careers work. So we decided that we were going to take a little trip. And we rented a car and drove up to Montreal, which... How long a drive is that? It's only
0: like six hours. What do you go through? Like Vermont, New Hampshire? Um, you you can
1: go the beautiful back roads of Vermont. We spent a day in uh, Burlington, which was really lovely. Driving, driving back roads, drinking beer, not at the same time. Um, but yeah, most of the you go through New York. So you drive up the Hudson Valley. So it's you have these like beautiful winding hills that... Wind their way all the way up until you hit the Canadian border. Then there's like a boring hour until you hit Montreal. It just kind of goes flat, and there's snow. We literally hit the border, and there was snow. There was no snow south of the border. It's just always <laughs> snow. Yeah, in the grid is the Great White North. So, we we went up to Montreal, and it was it was rad. It was such a good time. Um, What's what makes Montreal different than the rest of Canada? Well, it's in Quebec, which adds a bit of flair there's they still speak French they speak mostly French although that being said most of the Montreal natives are some of the most fluently bilingual people they are known for being particularly hospitable especially for a Quebecois the but I've also been told that we didn't go to Quebec City but that if you go to Quebec City and you don't know French that you are you are in for a tough time that there is not not much sympathy for the lack of french that you possess. So we got around pretty easily. She speaks a little bit of french and so at least enough to say hello, we're lost. Also where's a good dive bar? So that's kind of like the way that we we structured the trip. We Brent and I both have a lot of friends that work in food and so soliciting Soliciting recommendations was not particularly difficult. Yeah, Mo-
0: Montreal has kind of become, I don't know, kind of a hot city for travel. Yeah. Is it, is it a combination of things? Is it mostly food? Like what, what all is there up there to do?
1: I think so. I mean, it's a combination of things. There's a really pretty vibrant art scene. It's a big city that has a diverse cultural heritage. You have a lot of immigrants that live there as well, so they actually have a pretty robust Chinatown um, which I live in Chinatown in New York, so go- and we stayed fairly close to the Chinatown there, so I almost felt like I hadn't left home. Um, but it's this weird place that everyone is really friendly. And What was it, your favorite of the restaurants you went to? What really blew you away? Joe Beef is fantastic. It's... It's run by these two two French Canadian guys named Dave Dave McMillan and oh, I would have to think about the other guy's name off the top of my head but they are these kind of like outsized larger than life characters that have built a restaurant around actual hospitality and wanting people to feel warm. They're the kind of guys that cook this incredibly decadent and refined food and serve it on vintage and they're all about plying you with kindness and drinks and food. So all foie gras, everything. All foie gras, everything? That's, that's the best part of that. What's, is the nightlife strong there? The nightlife is strong there. There's a lot of stuff going on, and there is a lot of beer to be drank. Molson is based out of there. Molson is the, Molson, in, the Molson okay. family.
0: Molson ice is moonshine in the form of beer. We were, so
1: the nightlife in Montreal is something that is all about you wanting to explore. It's plenty of... There's clubs, there's dive bars, there's cocktail bars. It's 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 all over the place. I would say for me... Was there a champagne place that you went to? Yeah, there's a place called La Champagnerie that is... Which, does that just mean... The Champagnerie the place, champagne-ery? I think. <laughs> That's French um, for The Champagnerie? Yeah, The, the Champagnerie. So... <laughs> There are these places that are kind of all over the board, so it's a really a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. And in the magazine, we really wanted to reflect that, and so I wrote the guide, and it's a DIY Chest Hair Friday. Because, like Brent said, the whole point of Chest Hair Friday is that you let the night take you.
0: Will, thank you. That was a wonderful story that you had in the zine for us on Montreal. I know a lot of people planning trips to Montreal in the next year or so. Highly recommend Will's work. We'll have it on the website, www.chesthairfriday.com, and what a great entry into how to have a good time in Montreal. Now we're going to transition to have our first guest. Guest today, we have with us Chef Kelly Fields. She is a chef partner at Willa Jean in New Orleans. She has, over the last year or so, been recognized for her excellent work as a pastry chef, baker, restaurateur, and all-around great person. Southern Living named her one of their Southern Kitchen musicians. Garden and Gun has called her one of the most influential people in the South. She was nominated and a finalist for Best Pastry Chef with the James Beard Awards this year. She has also won Eater New Orleans a Chef of the Year and Eater New Orleans Reader's Choice Award. We're thrilled to have her on the podcast today with us, Talking Chest Hair Friday.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And this is, again, Kelly Fields. And Kelly, tell us about yourself, uh, about your restaurant in New Orleans, and just sort of some of your background so people know who you are.
2: Uh, My name is Kelly Fields. I own Willa Jean in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, moved to New Orleans in 96, and sort of, she's never gotten rid of me since. That's
0: amazing that you have been here since 1996. Mm
2: -hmm. I took a five-year hiatus uh, when Katrina hit, but...
0: So how, how much has New Orleans changed just in the 10 or so, 20 or so years you've been here? Um,
2: it's changed dramatically and also not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe explain. So what's the dramatic change that you see? Um,
2: I think especially like where the restaurant is and now there is this new like urban living and um, even with Katrina, people having the conscious decision to be here and be a member of the community and contribute to that and try to make it great. Um and then the not at all is, you know, we are exactly who we've always been.
0: Recently, you were a finalist for a James Beard Award.
2: Yeah, isn't it's, that crazy?
0: It's amazing, and, and everyone in New Orleans is so proud of you, and it's, um, it's just a great accomplishment, mm-hmm. but what does that really mean, being a finalist, and, and how, does, how does the process work?
2: Um, first, it's still a little unbelievable. Even though it's come and gone, it's still it still sinks in a little bit more every day. Um, for me, it's more about my team than it would ever be about me, and it's a, a, I get to be a spokesperson for the work that they're doing, and that's, um, that's really special and humbling. And we may have
0: jumped ahead. What are the James Beard Awards for those who do not follow sort of the food world intensely?
2: Um, James Beard Awards are pretty much the like Oscars of the food industry, where um, once a year... They, the James Beard Foundation recognizes the work of chefs, pastry chefs, uh, wine and drink people, and um, service of the restaurants of who's, who's doing the best and doing the most to evolve and contribute to our industry.
0: And is that in similar fashion to other awards? Are there a lot of parties and different things going on that I, lead up to it and I, after?
2: There are more parties than I have ever Experience. What, what did you make it to? Which,
0: which ones were you able to attend? Um,
2: we, or, I landed in Chicago on Sunday morning and went straight to a party. Um, and party, went party to party to party to party um, until Sunday night when I got home to the hotel about 3 a.m. And then you wake up Monday morning and do it again. What was,
0: of all the parties, sort of the most like, outrageous, like, wow, I wasn't expecting to see that thing at a party?
2: You know, if I can talk honestly about the most incredible I, thing I, I saw. I would want you to talk honestly, Heather. So, <laughs> Monday morning, the um, SFA, Southern Foodways Alliance, and Billy Reed threw a sort of Southern Mafia get-together at the Billy Reed store in Chicago. Wonderful. And, as always, it was a great time. And I was having fun. You get to see all the people that you love, and your friends, and people you admire, and Uh, meat chefs that you've sort of almost worshipped for your entire career in my case. Um, And then we left that party and went to a Chicago-based party. And Southerners know how to party. I'm just going to say that.
0: The spread, the food, the The drink. The spread, the
2: food, the, the energy, like everything's comfortable, like things are delicious because they're supposed to be delicious. And like there's not a lot of show about it, there's not a lot of like fancy about it, and then you go to the Chicago party and it's all a little bit formal and proper and...
0: People a little bit more serious yeah, about it. Yeah, and
2: I've never been in a situation or a city where the contrast was that immediate. Like you go... You
0: left the South like 10, to go back to Chicago. 10
2: minutes, 10 minute difference could be two completely different planets as far as it seemed.
0: It's funny that we talk about this sometimes amongst our sort of being in some of the different worlds
2: mm-hmm.
0: where the food world, the art world, the mm-hmm. fashion world, they all do the same kind of things, yeah. but the food world is the most fun by far. And I think it's because hospitality is sort of baked into food. Of course. Like you can't get to the point where you are in your career without being a hospitable person and mm-hmm. welcoming person who wants people to come to your restaurant and enjoy themselves. Whereas, like in fashion, the exclusivity is almost what makes it a thing. Right. So that's what's baked in. It's Mm -hmm. like sort of judging and being more, Mm -hmm. this is, if you don't get it, then you don't get it. Right. And there's no way to really run a restaurant and say to somebody, if you don't get it, you don't get it, we don't want you. And so it's funny to see that even within food, it's sort of Southerners have that much higher a level of hospitality built in. To be clear,
2: the party, the second party that we went to that day, everything was absolutely phenomenal it was delicious there were amazing people there doing amazing things but because it was 10 minutes after a southern based party it felt far less fun
0: (laughs) I think that's one stereotype that really does hold Yes, And, and I would even go as far as to say New Orleans may do that piece of the hospitality thing better than anybody else why do you think that is?
2: I think that's how we live
0: it's just sort of one long party.
2: Yeah, because the, ru- the, rules, the rules of New Orleans are, uh, you know, parking tickets and this and that and not living out loud, living without apology and just 100% of the time doing the most, the best you can, whether that's work or play or anything in between.
0: Yeah, we don't really take any time off. It's no. pretty much our work is sometimes our play yep. and it's all the time. Mm-hmm.
2: Again, we are exactly who we are.
0: So when so after all the parties and you get to the award ceremony, mm-hmm. what is it like to be someone who's who's a finalist who sort of name in lights for an event like that?
2: Uh personally it's terrifying.
0: <laughs> really terrifying. Like,
2: uh one of my least favorite things to do, one of the things I am most scared of in life is talking in front of people or having attention paid to me. And that's all you're doing that night. So for me it's it's a little bit terrifying.
0: Was it kind of, was it fun? Because you were an early category. Did you kind of mm-hmm. feel like once your category was over, you were able to relax a little? Yes,
2: I had my flask of bourbon in the in my coat pocket, and I had a little bit before for the nerves, and then I just, like, had a sunk in and had a good time.
0: People always say just being nominated is, mm-hmm. is a huge honor, but, yep. like, that's actually true, right? It really
2: is. It really I mean, it's cheesy as hell, but it's actually true. And to be invited to be in a room with 3,000 people that you admire and are inspired by is... I mean, I'll go back any year
0: they want. And why not? I mean, it sounds like it's a great time. It was was a really good time. You know, the beer, It's just like any award show, sort of, they almost lag a year Mm -hmm. in sort of when things happen. Mm -hmm. Because you opened Willa Jean, which has garnered all sorts of wonderful praise. People are talking about it. It's early in the morning on a weekday, and Mm -hmm. your restaurant is pretty full, which has got to be a great feeling. Really and is. and so with Willa Jean having been open now for almost a year, what tell me a little bit two about... Years.
2: Almost two Is years. it almost two years? Almost two years,
0: yeah. Huh? Well, well, hold on. With Willa Jean having been open for almost two years, we can edit that. Yeah. What is uh, What has been sort of the journey on that? I mean, I know you had the idea in your mind for a long time. Maybe talk about the concept of Willa Jean and how it all came to be.
2: Well, it was originally... John Bash and I started the conversation in 2003 um, about opening a bakery and calling it for... A decade. It was called Hot Buns in his mind.
0: Hot buns. Hot buns. I, I uh, like the working <laughs> names of all of the restaurants. Yeah,
2: we have a really good time with it. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Hurricane Katrina hit, and <clears throat> John was and continues to be my mentor so at that time he told me to sort of follow my heart and see what I could learn out of the experience so I went and traveled and worked around the world for five years
0: where did you travel during that time around the world um
2: I did Europe I did the Middle East uh I spent eight months in New Zealand and also lived in San Francisco for three years um went to Edinburgh for a little while to learn about their food culture because their farm to table uh concept like blows us out of water Really? really it's really incredible um And then came back and started again as a pastry chef at Restaurant August. Um, Grew into this corporate pastry chef role where I was doing all the menus, training, and hiring for all the restaurants. And John and I started very slowly talking about the bakery again. Um, one thing I learned in my travels is that I really enjoy snacking and bringing people together. And that if I live in a bakery that was strictly a bakery, it wouldn't encourage people to hang out and create that community in a dining room that I was after. Yeah,
0: it's hard to linger yeah. in a bakery. You sort uh, of is. come in, get your, mm-hmm. your hot buns, and then head Exit.
2: out. Yeah, and everything's to go and all that. And I wanted, I wanted to create a space that people wanted to spend time in. Um, so it sort of evolved from a bakery to sort of a counter service. We'd have two or three sandwiches on the bread we were making. Um, and as you see now, we are a full blown restaurant with a bakery in it. With a bakery in it. (laughs) Yes.
0: And does the bakery run all night?
2: It does. My kitchen is a 24 hour operation. People are working 24 hours a day.
0: And the restaurant concept Willa Jean, is that your grandmother's name? It
2: is. It is so tell
0: me about that and your relationship with her and, and the importance of it.
2: So my grandmother, it's my dad's mom, um, and I was, as a child, my nickname was Willa Jean Jr. <laughs> um, because I was stubborn and sassy and often in trouble with my, my parents, which was exactly who my grandmother was. Um, and she was not the typical like southern grandmother that taught me how to cook. Like everybody kind of wants that story, but
0: I, I've heard multiple times people in the southern food world they have the saying that they're skeptical of grandmothers. Yeah. Because everybody has that grandmother who taught you to cook story. Yeah. But yours it, it is no, much deeper.
2: No, my grandmother she fed us like uh, shit on a shingle and froze like literal frozen orange juice and called it slush. She put like cherries <laughs> in it and like cut up bananas. Like, You know, that's a dream when you're a kid. It's one of my favorite memories, but she wasn't a cook, and I don't know that she really enjoyed it or anything like that, but what she did enjoy is spending quality time around the kitchen table playing cards and talking about life, and um, she taught me and mentored me to put myself 100% out there and never apologize for what that is.
0: And that lack of apology, I do think, shows through in a lot of what you're doing at Willa Jean, because it's, like you said, it's a bakery and a full service restaurant, Mm -hmm. but y'all have a lot of fun within that. Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. And
0: like the frosé that y'all serve, Mm -hmm. you have a frozen drink machine. We do. We do. Tell me, how did the idea of freezing frosé and serving it come about? Well,
2: I mean, everybody wants poetry behind that story, but we live in (laughs) New Orleans, and it's hot. It is hot. And I love rosé, and I wanted it as, like, how do you make it cold? And I was standing at the bar, and I looked at the slushy machine, and I was like, let's give this a whirl. And
0: Can you slushy yeah. anything?
2: Um, you cannot slushy, like, pure alcohol.
0: Okay, so not pure alcohol.
2: Um, there has to be a balance there um, so that it will freeze. Um, but we, we've found success in everything we've wanted to free so far. But I think
0: the frosé, I don't, don't want to say it surprises people because it shouldn't be, yep. but when you pour, what's the pour, like a 12-ounce glass of frosé? Mm-hmm. So how many more ounces is that than just a glass of wine?
2: It's usually anywhere from six to six to uh, eight. Well, yeah. So As you're really
0: general... having at least a glass and a half, yep. but possibly two glasses of wine mm-hmm. every time you frosé. Yeah. Because people are it always it sneaks
2: up on you. Pe- yeah,
0: <laughs> people are always like, "Do they spike that with vodka?" I'm like, "No, you just drank a bottle of wine when you had two yeah. frosés. That's yeah. that's what's actually happened. Exactly. So that's exactly. the that's a little uh, don't don't forget.
2: Yes, it's easy to forget. But.
0: And what else have you had sort of fun with? Whether it's you know kind of clever ingredients or fun names, what are other uh, things that you kind of been your signatures?
2: Well, we have a lot of fun with all the slushies. Right now, we have a drunken love on. Um, Named after Beyonce, Um, that's watermelon, honeysuckle vodka, and lime.
0: And Beyonce came to the restaurant, didn't she? Beyonce
2: came to the restaurant. Okay, what
0: was that like when Beyonce ate at Willa Jean?
2: Um, it's sort (laughs) of (laughs) a blur. It was great. I mean, I said. And how long
0: did it take before everyone knew Beyonce was there? Like text messages going around. So
2: she came in on a um, Saturday during NBA All Stars at twelve thirty. Which is prime time for us on any Saturday, better yet a special event going on two blocks away from the restaurant. Um, and we had probably a wait list of about forty people when she came in and in about fifteen minutes there were three hundred plus people around.
0: Was everybody's face pressed to the glass yeah. of your windows uh, trying insane. to take pictures? I
2: never like I've always and in every interview I had for an, for a year and a half I've mentioned her name because like like her music or not or whatever like her ability to impact the world is astounding and I have a lot of questions I'd like to talk to her about about that and um, to have that personally but then to see that and see the reaction of like people just the impact of her just, just to see her like, and the fact that she has zero privacy in her life like and that's gotta and that
0: must be that's gotta be the, the doublest edged of swords I one I can, can imagine, imagine being that famous and being able to do so much with your, yeah, girl just your wants fame, to
2: have fame, but at the same time
0: you can't come have brunch and <laughs> have yeah. three hundred people on their cell phones joining oh, you. It
2: was crazy. It was crazy.
0: Well, and and I guess this is this is a good transition point because you mentioned sort of being able to do good with your role and your work, mm-hmm. and you have a dinner a pop-up dinner coming up Mm -hmm. that is in support of the Besh Foundation, Mm -hmm. but it is called Yes Ma'am? Yep. So what is the Yes Ma'am dinner?
2: So Yes Ma'am was sort of an idea with Willa Jean and and how fast we grew and um, frankly, being the only female executive chef in this company, it sort of came to feel like a responsibility of like, why am I the only one and how do I change that? Um, So with Willa Jean even became an incubator to support small women business around town. And we have a woman that does our cakes. We have a woman that does all of our our butchering for us. We have a a woman that's making pasta for us for them to grow their own businesses. Um, And to take that to the next level where it's not just food industry people, but the women of New Orleans, Um, I decided to launch this dinner with the foundation, with John's help and Caroline Rosen's help, um, to sort of create a conversation that will allow for women to go to school and not just not just coloring school but if a woman wants to go to business school or go to study food policy or um, graphic design all of the stuff that we use as a business as a restaurant group as a community how do we make women rise up in that
0: and that's a a wonderful sort of goal Mm -hmm. and what Aside from the dinner, and and I do wonder, who was involved in the dinner? Who was Um, coming in?
2: I wrote to my favorite female chefs across the country, um, and they all said yes, which was absolutely amazing. So Tracy Desjardins is coming from San Francisco. Kristen Kish is coming. Um, She was uh, a winner of Top Chef. She she worked for a long time under Barbara Lynch in Boston um, and is now working on some projects. Um, Cassidy Daphne, who is the uh, most recently named female first female executive chef of Blackberry Farms, oh wow, is coming, and she is one of the most talented women I've ever had the experience of dining with.
0: That place is so beautiful. Hopefully, it's, you'll get an invite back too. Exactly,
2: right. <laughs> um, and Nina Compton, our own New Orleans <clears throat> Nina Compton, is coming.
0: And Nina is also such a special person. I mean, she that's is, that's a yeah. really neat group. Yeah. And is there? A, I know y'all are doing a dinner. Is there mm-hmm. any other programming around it?
2: Yeah, we're going to do, Kim Severson from the New York Times is coming down, and we're going to do a moderated panel and talk about what does it mean to be a woman in this industry or even in this world or in this political climate or whatever. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, Maybe what has set this group of women apart from the ones that haven't made it to sort of the status that they have?
0: Sure, what, what, what have y'all been able to do to sort of create your own opportunities right, right. and how can you show people more of how to do yeah. that in their own lives? Yeah. And that, that's gonna be, that's very neat.
2: Yeah. And then we're gonna have a, of course, in the style of all things New Orleans, we're gonna have a really nice uh, after party at Willa Jean after the dinner. How fun. And so I have some of my favorite lady bartenders from around New Orleans and around the South come in and take over my bar. Valrhona uh, Chocolates coming in and taking over my bakery counter and sort of creating this Willow Wonka chocolate world. Willow Wonka? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, is that going on the cups or the T-shirts?
2: <laughs> Maybe. We'll have to find that out. And then we have, a, we have a DJ, and we got some fun things planned. It'll be a good time.
0: And aside from having fun, what are some of your goals for the Yes Ma'am dinner? And, and do you think you might want to do them more of them and kind of continue this?
2: Yeah. I'm hoping that this this first installation of this um, proves the point that the conversation even needs to be had. And so with the outpouring of, of support that we get, the people showing up, the fact that it's a good time, and then if we can if we can you know raise up some women, inspire some women, engage some women in this community to do more for each other, then one we've already won and two, we can keep it ongoing and make it better and better and better.
0: And I think that that spirit is mm-hmm. perfect for what you're trying to do, and perfect mm-hmm. for our times. Mm-hmm. And Kelly, I really do appreciate you coming on, and, sure. and not just you know sharing your views and, and your passions, but also, you know better than anybody. Chester Friday does not require chest hair.
2: No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> what is what is ch-
0: <laughs> Chester Friday is all about a lifestyle yeah. and a and a state of mind, and, and I don't know anybody that embodies it better. And, Kelly, I really do appreciate you joining us. Thank thanks you. again. Come back again soon. Sure. We always have things to talk about.
2: Anytime.
0: And uh, we will be at Yes Ma'am and
1: looking forward to it.
2: Awesome. Thank
0: thanks you. Thanks
1: again. Appreciate your time. Of course. So thanks for listening to that interview with Kelly. Brent, this has been a pleasure. Absolutely.
0: we gotta, we got to get together more often. I haven't seen you since January, and that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So thank you guys once again for listening. Go to www.chesthairfriday.com or on your adventures on really any day, but particularly Friday, hashtag us on Instagram. Yeah, hashtag chest, hair chest hair Friday. Friday.
0: We, will, we would love to share your adventures with our people. You're, you're all our people. So get out there, live every day like it's chest Friday. Tag your pictures, shout out at us on social media. And once you get your zine, definitely get a picture of yourself with the chest Friday shirt. We'll be posting those as they come in. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.